Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger. Eternal Kingdom, Chapter 10 Micah lay on the velvet fainting chaise in the music room staring at Emily's bald head that sat like a music icon on the grand piano. Between sobs, he spoke to her. I just can't. I tried. I dug the hole outside, like she said. I dug a grave for you under the cherry tree that blossomed every year on your birthday. But I can't bring myself to do it. Micah erupted into a fit of hysterics. Of course you can't bury me under the cherry tree. I deserve better than that, Emily protested. Micah jerked his head up from the tear-soaked pillow, his eyes wild. I'm one of Detroit's own, one of the best cello players this city has ever seen. You can't just bury me some under a tree in the rich suburbs. I won't lie in the mud in an unmarked grave, warned Emily, angry and spiteful. Micah slid off the chaise like an invertebrate. He moved his spineless body oozing from the couch to the floor. There in prostration, to his iconic Emily, he begged her, What should I do? How can I earn your forgiveness? There was a long silence in the room. A gentle breeze swept through the open windows. Building momentum, it ruffled the curtain and knocked over a freestanding picture of Emily and Micah's parents that sat on the side table. Suddenly, each window slammed shut and the curtains snapped closed. As if orchestrated, the world was shut out one pane at a time. The lights flickered and went out. Mike was left in the pitch black with Emily's head staring at him from her lofty piano. An electricity filled the room. The chandelier hanging from the ceiling began to sway, the moonlight sparkling off of its prisms. Soot from the fireplace was caught in the wind that mysteriously resided within the house. From the ash and soot, a wind devil appeared. The tunnel of spinning ash first formed her long, slender legs, then her maiden silhouette, and then her slender-toned arms and fingers. Her headless wind tunnel of feminine curvature walked over to the piano and gracefully placed Emily's head on its shoulders much like a queen bestowing a crown upon her head. Leaves and kindling from the fireplace formed her makeshift hair. Emily was a composition of all things that remained. Beyond fire, beyond embalming, beyond corpus desecration, she remained. The queen of remains stood before Micah and gave her brother her one and only royal command. As she spoke, her voice ricocheted off the plaster walls and slate floor. The sheer volume traveled through Micah in waves, stirring him in a way that would change lead to gold. It was both a scream and a whisper all at once, and it was simple. Avenge me, avenge me, brother. Make them all suffer the way you have suffered. You know what to do. It's what you've always wanted to do since the night you killed me. Do it. 
Do it for me. Emily towered over Micah. He dared lift his eyes to her, squinting in the brutal wind of her form, specks of dirt and debris whipping his face. She was both terrifying and beautiful, and as her eyes blazed, her incarnation grew into rage, and the wind pushed Micah backwards. Her voice exploded like metal hitting concrete. Destroy them! With her final command delivered, the wind haltered as quickly as it came. Micah stared, trembling, as he lay in the relative safety beneath the clawfoot chaise. Emily was stripped of her royal remains and was once again a severed head that fell to the floor. Micah lay under the chaise, trembling and staring at Emily. She was right. He did know what he wanted to do. Micah crawled out from under his hiding place and picked Emily up. He placed her head on the scroll of her upright cello so he might see her face to face. The shape, while slightly bottom-heavy, was feminine and curvy, and it suited Emily. For a moment, Micah wondered if Emily, when alive, might have preferred this version of herself, her passion for her cello infused with her mind and her face. He smiled at her. I will make it all right again, my darling, Micah vowed, and there's no time to waste. Helen's phone vibrated. It was the fourth text from Ruth that she'd received that day. Her pulse quickened at the sight of the numbers flashing across the screen. Extracting financial information from Ray was becoming more and more of a challenge. Helen scolded herself for losing control of a situation spinning out of it. She looked at herself in the mirror and took a deep breath, smoothing out the creases in her short silk nightie. She doubled and triple checked the champagne glasses, committing to memory which one was which. To her relief, Ray's familiar knock came at the door. Helen greeted him with the most seductive smile. Well, this is a pleasant surprise, beamed Ray, as he looked her up and down in the doorway. She sauntered to the minibar, and he trailed closely behind her, nearly forgetting to shut the hotel door. I filed my divorce papers claiming Robbie mentally and physically incompetent, and I thought we should celebrate. Now it can be just you and me, Helen hissed. Sipping her champagne, she handed Ray his glass from the other side of the bar. Hasn't that been your plan all along? Helen's heart sank as Ray set his glass down without taking a sip. He rushed to her and kissed her hard. Let me show you what my plan's been for some time now. He moved quickly. Years of wanting his boss's wife ignited his desire, and at first the notion seemed romantic as Ray guided her out onto the balcony. Helen was thankful that the night had fallen so no one could see her outside in her lingerie. Pushing aside her insecurities, she tried to talk to Ray, but to no avail. Her mind raced in the confusion of his forcefulness as he pushed her into the balcony edge. She was gripping the metal rail, her head looking down at several stories below. He pushed her panties aside. She tried to turn around, but her body was pressed and held over the rail. Where was the kissing, she wondered. And she was suddenly afraid. Would he let her fall? A man taking back control, Ray plunged himself into her, bending her over the hotel railing. In every way, Helen felt exposed and at his mercy. All she could do was hold on for her life. She listened to him puff and grunt as he thrust himself deeper, each time Helen tightening her grip on the rail. 
She focused on breathing, his weight and the angle crushing her ribs and her diaphragm. When he had finally finished, she felt his body weight leave her. She took a shaky, deep breath and held the floodgate of tears that threatened to take hold of her and make her look weaker to Ray than was her plan. As Ray zipped his fly and toddled off to the bathroom, a deep ache for Robbie and all of his gentleness formed inside of Helen. She hardened that place within her and made her way to the minibar. Adding an extra tablet to the already laced champagne, she swirled the bubbles in his glass until the solid had dissolved. Any fear she may have had of overdosing Ray was gone. Helen clicked the recording app on her phone for good measure as she bit back another wave of tears. Handing him his glass as he returned, they toasted, and Helen watched Ray down the whole glass in one large gulp. Feeling very satisfied in his manhood, Ray plopped down on the bed and laughed. It was clear the alcohol and drugs were taking an immediate effect. So let me get this straight. I'm the only one with access to his bank account. I'm the only one who knows where he is. And now, Ray paused for dramatic effect. His wife is divorcing him so she can be with me. Oh, and yeah, and while the courts figure out if he's sane or mad, I'm fucking his wife too. It's good to be the manager. Helen could hear his words begin to slur, and she regretted adding the extra drugs. Pouring him another glass, she invited him to sit up. So where is my royal husband? Helen inquired. Why do you care? Ray sneered. Helen's mind raced. The sooner they serve him with his summons to court, the sooner I win all of his money, the sooner we live happily ever after. She ran her fingers through his tousled hair as he sat in a hazy deliberation. He's already at the match site. He's checked himself in to some hotel in downtown Detroit. I can't see how on earth he will have sorted any semblance of a team, but he's there already. Maybe he is crazy. It doesn't matter. I've tracked all of his transactions. He hasn't even bought room service. And I thought by now he'd be shopping for, you know, superhero suits or something. Ray yawned. We don't need him anymore. His eyes rolled back in his head, and Ray passed out. Helen shut off the recording and sent it in a text to Ruth, and waited. Maria tapped her fingers anxiously as she waited the final moments for the sun to set. Summer was in its glory. As the days grew longer, so did her longing to report on the ever-growing activities of the household and the game. James and his queen had arrived in a dark car. She was honored to meet the royals, but suddenly afraid. Geraldine's stare made Maria feel more and more like a meal. If she could have, Maria would have run to Cadell and jumped in his coffin. Thankfully, Cadell arrived in the dining room a few minutes later. I sense your urgency, my dear. I came as quickly as I could. What is it? The royal couple just arrived. I wasn't expecting them, and I don't have a proper stock in the cellar for entertaining. Maria was clearly worried. Cadell found it endearing. Don't worry. I have much to discuss with them, and while we're busy, make whatever necessary arrangements for a proper feeding before dawn. The royal couple is here, so spare no expense, he instructed. Yes, sir. I'll show them in to see you and then leave right away. Leave it to me. 
Maria smiled, thrilled at the chance to lavish her master with a feast. As soon as Geraldine and James made their way to the dining room, Maria grabbed her keys. Oh, Maria, dear, Cadell called. She felt her heart sink, but she ran to him anyways, avoiding eye contact with Geraldine. Forgive me, but the entire team for our side will be assembling tonight and meeting for the first time. Can you handle the additional load? Absolutely, Maria smiled. Well, if anyone can pull it off at the spare of the moment, you can. We'll see you soon, Cadell reassured. Thrilled to be free from the death stare of the new queen, Maria ran to the car and drove off. She googled from her cell phone and soon landed on the directory listing. She called. Hello, yes, it would appear that my casting call is a bit thin tonight. I know this is last minute, but could I book models and actors for a very large, very private party taking place just after midnight in my Royal Oak home? The woman on the other end of the line gave a rather doubtful answer, followed by an exaggerated price for such short notice. I assume these people will be of the highest quality and of the utmost discretion, is that correct? As she imagined, the price went up on the other end of the line. Excellent. And what was your name? I have my credit card ready. With 100 of Detroit's most beautiful and unknown booked to attend the party, Maria headed to the Eastern Market. The bustling crowds made her homesick for Italy, but Detroit had its own feel, with barbecue chicken and ribs smoldering over hot coals in makeshift grills cut from welded-together leftover steel oil drums. Rap music, reggae, and Motown blared in opposite corners of the market. Within an hour, Maria hired a chef, enough raw ingredients to feed an army, and over 20 cases of wine. She gave her small, newly hired staff the address and had a garden party complete with candlelight and a gourmet spread prepared just in time for the human guests to arrive. The sun was set to rise at 5.09 a.m., she knocked in the dining room door and entered. Cadell looked at her fondly, admiring her little black dress and her soft, wavy hair. Simple, but elegant. The room was full of newly arrived vampires, and all of their eyes were on her. She nodded to Cadell to confirm that everything was ready. He entered her mind and suggested she make the announcement instead of him. She took a deep breath. If you will forgive the interruption, a feast has been prepared in your honor and is waiting in the garden. The team and its royal couple joined the beautiful people of Detroit under the night sky. Corktown model wannabes traded in their beer and whiskey and sipped Pinot Noir instead, trying to sound sophisticated as they networked. Maria sent her thoughts to Cadell as she looked at the mingling guests. I'm afraid the queen does not like me, sir. Is it not a party fit for royalty? Cadell made his way over to her and wrapped his arms around her protectively in a rare display of public affection. He replied in her mind, You have done splendidly, and the queen will grow to love you as I do. You'll see. From a corner in the garden, James whispered to Geraldine, Don't forget that you're here for one reason only. I would have thought with your skills you would have already been in his bed. Geraldine sipped her wine, staring daggers at Maria. You cannot tempt a man who has no hunger. I suppose he can't protect her forever. James held Geraldine's 
wrist hard and returned her wine to her. You don't have forever. You have two knights. I'm the king, and if my present queen doesn't suit me, I think Maria might wear royalty just as well, if not better. Find a way, or find yourself strapped in a convertible with heliobonds under the noon sun. Cadell clicked his glass, and the garden grew silent. Thank you all for coming. The sun will rise in a little over than an hour. So I suggest everyone enjoy the lovely meal my Maria has prepared for you before the morning is upon us. He raised his glass in a toast. To the game. Everyone raised their glasses, half of the guests unaware what they were toasting to. James and Geraldine watched as Cadell led Maria indoors. It was the last they were to see the game master for the night. Instead, the royal couple each grabbed the closest victim. James gripped a well-dressed young man in a suit. With one fingernail, he ripped open the man's soft chest tissue and drank from him like a fountain. Women began to scream, and the sound of wine glasses hitting the patio floor filled the garden. A nimble girl, for fear of being trampled, climbed up the courtyard tree. Geraldine was angry and needed a particularly interesting challenge in which to relieve her frustrations. Leaping like a leopard, she landed on a branch just above the girl. There was a scream and a crunch as Geraldine bit through her skull. With the king and queen setting precedent, the chase was on for the rest of their team. Convicted vampires deprived of fresh blood in the facility gave into bloodlust. Tearing at whatever human flesh they could, they gorged on their fleeing human guests. And as the sun rose, the lawn of Cadell's vacation home had gone from green to blood red.